Chapter 44, First Aid, commences with a quote by Frederick M. Lehman. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Simplify, cut back, downsize, refocus, whatever we call it, reducing our assets, our financial commitments, and our workload of non-Christ-focused activities is one of the most crucial, maybe even essential, first aid techniques for the bitten. Simplifying is not the end goal itself, but it's a big gun in the artillery of our fight against greed, materialism, and rat race lifestyles. Jesus regularly told us that we must refocus on the eternal essentials if we hope to live forever. We can't spend the vast majority of our time and energies on transient goals if we hope to have eternal rewards. We cannot serve both God and money. We cannot love both God and money. But, and it's certainly a very big but, nor can we earn our salvation by giving the money away. As Melinda and I saw the busyness of business squeezing in on us and our focus shifting from the spiritual to the successful, we knew we had to change. We had to simplify. We had to take Solomon's advice from Proverbs 23.4 very seriously. Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Australian retailing billionaire Jerry Harvey once made the following insightful comment. It's what we do when we're alive. We build and build and accumulate. It's a disease. After years of building bigger barns, of being infected to varying degrees by the disease of affluenza, we were again convicted that it is better to have a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Jesus knew that the rich young ruler could only change his heart if he passed on the blessings he'd received. If there had been another, easier option, Jesus would not have let him walk away sad because he had great wealth. He needed to simplify. He needed to learn to be content even if the only thing he had in life was Jesus. He needed to learn that the very commandments that he thought he had kept since his youth were actually built on a foundation of love, loving God and loving others, and that his accumulation of blessings for himself was not a loving response to his maker nor to his fellow man. He couldn't internalise or reflect this love while his ego and his self-image were so tightly entwined with his wealth and status. And because he couldn't love as God wanted him to, he couldn't truly keep the commandments. He lacked one thing, love. I must admit that I, too, am still, to a great extent, lacking this love. For the largest part of my life, I've been judgmental and critical, often secretly in my mind, rather than gracious and loving, and it is only through God's grace that he is still working on me. I think that my understanding of God's love today is nearer to the truth than it was in the past, but still so far from the whole truth that I can scarcely say that I even know it. 
God still has a massive work to do in me. But I praise him and thank him that he is a gracious, forgiving, merciful and loving father. God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel about a type of heart disease that the Israelites were debilitated by, which was very similar to the ailment plaguing the rich young ruler. Let's read about it in Ezekiel 33, 31. So they came to you, as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. History shows that the filament between our words and our actions is eternally fragile. The total offloading of all assets, as Jesus requested of our wealthy young friend, is not a first aid technique needed for the salvation of every wealthy person. However, a total dying to self, a total dissection of the assets from the heart, is essential to every person's salvation. It shouldn't be a negative cutting off or tearing away of things we hold dear. It should be a love-driven response to the realisation that God loved us so much that he gave us Jesus, and that Jesus loved us so much that he gave up everything to save us, to save me, to save you. Our response to this love should not just be outward acts of generous giving. Even selling all we have and giving to the poor is not the response that God desires, though for some people it may very well be a necessary part of the process. Such outward actions are often our preferred mode of response because even though they can be painful at times, they are easier than truly giving up our innermost souls. Paul knew about our very human tendency to choose seemingly righteous actions instead of being truly loving. In 1 Corinthians 13.3 he said, If I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Just as the acquiring of wealth is not a sin, the giving away of wealth is not a saviour. We cannot make ourselves holier or more righteous by wearing second-hand clothes, living on beans and potatoes, or removing all comforts from our homes, cars and churches. It's been well said that God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. However, if our hearts are so full of the blessings that God has lovingly provided that we can't open our heart's door to him, then a redistribution of those blessings is essential. In April 1521, Martin Luther was en route to his famous Here I Stand defence when he stopped at the German city of Erfurt to preach. During the sermon, he gave his listeners the following instruction. Since God has saved us, let us so order our works that they may be acceptable to him. Art thou rich? Let thy goods administer to the necessities of the poor. If thy labour is useful to thyself alone, the service that thou pretendest to render unto God is a lie. That's quite a statement for a man whose most famous legacy, for almost 500 years now, is his teachings on the preeminence of faith over works. At this point in the book, it is absolutely crucial to understand, as Luther did, that not one speck of salvation is gained or earned or acquired in any way by giving our money away, or by any other form of works. 
the most passionate commitment to using our God-given talents and skills and blessings for Him for the rest of our days cannot save us. Even truly sacrificial giving cannot tip the scales of salvation one millimetre in our direction. Salvation is a completely, totally and 100% free gift. Eternal life cannot be bought, earned or traded for donations of time, money or skills. God loves us. End of story. As Philip Yancey penned so beautifully, there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. We are saved by God's grace plus nothing. And as we begin to realise this grace and love and have it flowing out from our hearts, then, like Paul, we can be content. As he told us in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It's not just about being content in a satisfied, well-fed sort of way. We've already seen that true satisfaction without God is impossible, even if you are super-blessed. Paul's talking about a deep-seated spiritual contentment. It's one that can only come through denial of self and the generosity that pours out from a heart that has been touched and renewed by the love of God and wants that love to flow on to others. Oswald Chambers is quoted as saying, If you have to calculate what you are willing to give up for Jesus Christ, never say that you love him. Jesus Christ asks us to give up the best we have got to him, our right to ourselves. This is such a revolutionary countercultural teaching, giving up our right to ourselves. I can't even find an illustration to explain it clearly. Christ said it most simply when he asked us, directed us, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. We can only truly do that when we are learning to truly love him. Christ's directive was so important that it was recorded in all four Gospels. In the original text, the word deny was the Greek word apaniomai, which means to deny utterly and disown. To deny myself to this degree is like completely forgetting that I, my past achievements, my dreams, my goals, ever existed, and to replace them with Christ's achievements and his dreams and goals for my life. This level of denial allows me to start focusing solely on Christ and his love and following where he leads, moment by moment, day by day. The 14th century German theologian and philosopher Johannes Eckhart explained it as follows. There are plenty to follow our Lord halfway, but not the other half. They will give up possessions, friends and honours, but it touches them too closely to disown themselves. This sort of disowning and denial leads to a love-driven, total separation of myself from the blessings that God has entrusted me with. Don't miss that point. It's a love-driven, total separation of myself from the blessings that God has entrusted me with. My self-worth and my self-consciousness are to be rooted solely in the fact that the God of the universe loves me. Not on what I earn, 
own or accomplish, not on what others think of me. I am loved by God, period. And that's where I get my sense of purpose and achievement. Living for him every day is where I now get my energy. It doesn't need to come from super sales graphs or soaring profits or homes or cars or vacations or praise anymore. I can count them all as loss in comparison to Jesus. This incredible experience reminds me of the time when I first tried on a pair of glasses. Years of staring at laptop screens had steadily, surreptitiously damaged my long-distance vision. It was so gradual that I didn't even realise the harm done. I just knew that distant objects didn't seem quite as clear as they used to be. I was coming back from Europe with Melinda, and we had a stopover in Hong Kong for a couple of days. I took the chance to get a budget eye check that diagnosed my condition and led to an order being placed for a pair of glasses. On collecting my new eyes, the assistant asked me to step out into the street and see if they helped with the clarity of distant objects. With no expectation of anything too amazing, I stepped out the door, facing toward a view of the incredible neon-lit panorama that is Hong Kong Harbour, and put them on. Wow! Through years of slow deterioration, I had forgotten just how wonderful 2020 vision is. I had almost forgotten that trees have leaves. I had new eyes. Just like my Hong Kong experience, seeing through these new eyes of God's love has given me a whole new view of the world. It has also given me freedom. Freedom to simplify and downsize painlessly. As Paul told us in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. There may be a way of denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus without simplifying, but I've never been able to find it. And believe me, I've searched. I struggled for years to give all my love to Christ, but it was diluted among other things. I battled to open the door of my heart fully, but there was always stuff in the way. I scrubbed and cleaned and refurbished it to try to gain what became an ever-elusive victory. But one day I learned that I don't need to gain the victory. I just need to be united to the victor. And then his victory is mine. So here I am, simplifying my life. To most people it probably looks like foolishness, but I'm willing to live with that. Through his power, I'm becoming God-centered and very contented. Simplifying is the ultimate first aid for those of us who have been bitten by materialism, consumerism, pride, and the well-disguised rat race that is so attractively placed before us. If you've been blessed financially, over and above your daily needs, or excessively blessed in other ways, then I encourage you to take a long, hard, 360-degree review of yourself. What is it that makes you tick, gives you energy, and lifts you out of bed every morning? If it's not your love for God, and the things you are going to do for Him that day, you've been bitten. I invite you and passionately encourage you to simplify. Start today.